Hello, and welcome to the Trail and Adventure Motorbike Podcast. With me, Clive Barber, and my good mate, Noel Tom. For the days when you can't ride your bike, there's always the Trail and Adventure Motorbike Podcast. This week, we are joined by YouTuber extraordinaire, Mr. Tom Gould from I Like Motorbikes on YouTube. Sit back, listen. And enjoy. What kind of van is it? Looks like a big van. Uh, it's a Fiat. It's a proper motorhome. So there's the front yeah. seats. We've got yeah. washing hanging out. And there's the curtain oh. to the uh, bedroom. Have you just watched the sunset go down over the over the horizon somewhere? Not quite, over... no. I'm on a campsite full time. So it's uh, not as exciting as it could be. <laughs> Why are you on a campsite and not out on the open road? Partly because, yeah, when I got with my current girlfriend we kind of there's a sad story coming up now try and make him cry live on the podcast (laughs) (laughs) how does that make you feel can you imagine yeah (laughs) so yeah basically i was with my uh with my ex we had a house together that's where the garage was awesome garage it was like 28 by 19 foot i think it was absolute monster and yeah so we split up ended up selling the house and then when we sold the house rather than renting a place together lauren and i thought fuck it let's get a van i've noticed recently and and i noticed this in france that i'm seeing more motorhomes with single ladies of a certain age than i am men or couples even almost really yeah i think it's women who've had a lifetime have been told what to do by the likes of you lot oh don't go listen this is a very fucking dodgy territory now and then they break free they get a little bit of money and they just think finally i can just do what i like I can, there's no one around to criticize my driving endlessly yeah. and they just take off on the open road for three years with it and they get a dog and they, start, <laughs> and they start painting furniture. If I've left this in, which is very fucking unlikely, this is Noel Tom of Kendall saying this. It's Honestly, it's my other half's dream. It would be my dream if I lived with you too, I think. <laughs> <laughs> I've got a new style of introduction that I wanted to trial on you tonight. Does anybody listen to Films to be Buried With? A podcast done by Brett Goldstein, who is a writer, a comedian, and played Roy Kent in Ted Lasso. Very, very good podcast. Brett Goldstein is a very, very funny man. And the way he introduced... I'm going to do it now. I'm going to introduce Tom, Tom Gould, from I Like Bikes, in the style of Brett Goldstein. I like motorbikes. I like motorbikes, sorry. From films to be buried with. So, he's a listener a tamper, a YouTuber, a racer, a bike builder, an adventurer, a shite light bike rider, an interviewer, an off-roader, a trail rider, an I-like motorbikeser. It's Tom Gould. That makes me sound far better than I am. <laughs> Did you like that? No. I loved yeah, it. Very- I'd hate to hear mine done in that fashion. I'll introduce you, especially next week. He's a miserable list, a collector, <laughs> a loner. A sad man. A baldy. <laughs> the light's not very good on your head, by the it's way. It's really not, is it? Look at that. <laughs> is it? I look like Crichton out of um, Red Dwarf. But at least you can change that. You can turn the lights off or get a little filter or something to sort <laughs> that out. When you got the reviews recently, you look like, um, oh, I forgot his bloody name, who did Top Gear and uh, was it Radio 2 and whatever. It's like a pan shop Chris Evans. That's it, Chris Evans, yeah. That made me chuckle. And a bit like Chris Evans, you either love him or you absolutely hate him. <laughs> I first met Tom, I think I was 
very drunk. I can't remember if it was at ABR or the Lightweight Adventurous Festival, but he basically just had on his one of his T-shirts for his YouTube channel, and it just said, I like motorbikes on his T-shirt, and I just fucking loved that, so I had to go and say hello to him, and then we've been friends ever since. When you sort of came up with that, Tom, were you surprised that no one else had already used it? Honestly, yeah, because it all it all started with a website. The reason it's called that is because my mate Andy, I met him at college, he's mad on motorbikes, and he's kind of the bad influence that kind of egged me into to getting into motorbikes and we used to when we go out riding we'd just be dicking about and we'd kind of like go camping and these kind of things and when we pull up we'd just be like full of beans really excited because we've just had a really quick ride and pulled up in a beautiful place and we're getting the hammocks out to camp or whatever we just started as a chant saying i like motorbikes more than you i like <laughs> motorbikes yes i do came up with the idea of the website and, and blogging it's bollocks isn't it it's <laughs> absolute bollocks but it's true and yeah start, started the idea of this website and i thought oh what can i call it and i looked up because it was hosted on wix wix said oh you want to I can't remember how many letters it is, but like between eight and 15 letters or whatever. And I kind of typed it out and went, oh, shit, that fits. Yeah. I, I like motorbikes. Yeah. Nobody's got it. Brilliant. Yeah. There we go. That's how it was born. If I'd have thought about it more about what I was going to do and where I was going to go, probably wouldn't have called it that because everyone either calls it, I love motorbikes or I like bikes. So I'd have called it something that everyone else actually <laughs> recognises and remembers. Maybe, maybe those are still available to us, Clive, because we were quite miffed that we'd missed that one. That one and also Sprockets and Bollocks from Steph Jevons. That'd be great on our new T-shirt website. So what was the intention of your I Like Motorbikes website then? I loved motorbikes, wanted to think about them, talk about them, and when people wouldn't listen, wanted an outlet for it. And so, yeah, just started blogging about things that I was doing that I thought was interesting and thought, oh, some other daft bugger might want to read about this or hear about it. Did a little bit of pit bike racing, supermoto style, not off-road. And I thought, oh yeah, I'll, I'll do that. Another one was uh, bought a KTM 990 Adventure, unseen on eBay, didn't even have photos on the advert uh, from Scotland. Flew up there on a bit of a whim and rode it back down. I thought that was quite cool. I mean, it's very much, the website is now very much a, a, an afterthought now. You should probably introduce yourself properly. Is it like a dating profile? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Where you come from? My name's Tom. I'm 31. I'm slightly overweight. I live in Wales, but originally from the Midlands. Don't judge me for it. And I like motorbikes. Which bit of the Midlands are you from? That's perfect, by the way. Which bit of the Midlands? We've had a conversation about this. I was probably drunk, mate. Clearly you were drunk when we... <laughs> yeah, Coventry. You're for fuck off. Fuck Fuck right You're Related, off. you're related. We probably are. I bloody hope not. Which bit of Coventry are you from? From Tile Hill. Seriously? No, you're not. That's where my grandma lives. Seriously. Where is Coventry? Is it one of those dreadful places down south? It's not in the south. It's in the Midlands. Beautiful Warwickshire. I mean, it sounds nice. The name sounds nice. I mean, it's it's got a nice bit of history to it. Huge power in the post-industrial revolution. Yeah. Loads of things were manufactured there. Engines for Formula One. There was tons of motorbikes. Cycle manufacturers. Massey Ferguson was there for years. And my granddad worked at the factory. And I went to secondary school just opposite that, Woodlands. Tom, I went to Bab Lake. Did you, you posh bastards? There we go. <laughs> <laughs> Tell us a little bit about your YouTube site and the sort of things you do. Because you do all sorts of, of riding and adventures and building and interviewing and all that kind of stuff tell us a little bit more about it mostly just an outlet of, of things i enjoy and that that is motorcycles I'm, I'm very much an advocate for all shapes sizes colors creeds of motorcycle i mean some i wouldn't ride but i can kind of appreciate different things regardless riding bikes makes me bloody happy and, and if i can't ride bikes talking about them or talking about interesting subjects about them or history or adventures whatever it might be it's just captivated me like nothing else in my life that's why the, the youtube channel is so varied is because it's it, it encompasses everything that i enjoy about them whether it's riding racing off-road trail riding 
doing some tours and adventures, speaking to people that are, you know, more qualified and competent than I am and then more interesting things and got a story to tell. Yeah, all of those things excite me and interest me. And the building element is largely because I'm I'm tight. I don't like paying other people for things that I feel like I can do. Are you self-taught? No, I went to college in it. Still shit. Did a motorsport engineering, yeah, BTEC National Diploma, which makes it sound all fancy in motorsport engineering. You could still do that, Noel. You could still go down to Preston and do that course. Why don't you? If you knew me a little better, Clive, if you'd been listening, you would know that I did actually go to college to study motor mechanics. Did you really? Yeah, of course I did, yeah. <laughs> Come on, I never knew that. Tom, I bet you're a lot better than you're making out. I'm good at trashing things and then forcing myself to fix it. The amount of rounded bolts I've had, and then you've got to work out how you're going to get a rounded bolt out of something yeah. and well, learn a lot by fucking up, I guess. Do you get the torque wrench out for everything or have you got a feel for it? Important bits, like things yeah. like, you know, bodywork fasteners and bits and bobs like that. I won't bother with that. No, that's just all feel. Rear axle nut, like you don't want that coming undone. That's pretty bloody important, especially when a lot of the stuff's like over 100 newton meters or something. Want a good idea when I know I'm going tight no, or I'm... too tight or what have you. I only use it on on cylinder heads valve covers i don't do rear oh, axles when i'm tightening a rear axle what's going through my head every time is i'll tighten this as tight as i want it to be when i'm in the, on a muddy track somewhere trying to get a tire off having had a punch i will say it depends on the bike that i'm riding when i'm racing everything wheels and brakes done up yeah. with torque wrench like my little cg125 just by hand doesn't matter if that falls off well you're only ever doing like 40, 50 mile an hour and off-road, you're doing like 10. So you're never going to have that big of a crash if it does happen. Like a bit of pragmatism applied. Getting back to your YouTube channel, you have 11,500 subscribers, 49 videos. And do you know how many views your highest viewing video has had? I, I do because I'm a nerd and I'm always watching it to hope it goes a bit higher. 2.3 million views. Flipping heck. It's have you had some kind of award from YouTube? Have you got like discs no. on the wall that we can't see? No, no nobody's recognised me. I thought you automatically <laughs> got something when you reached X number of at, views. At, at 100,000 subscribers, you get a, oh, uh, you get a little like, plaque. But so millions of way. views, you don't get any little, you don't get a mug or anything. Well, I haven't. If anyone else has, <laughs> then maybe I'm being hard done by Tell us what the 2.3 million views video is and tell us how that happened. Guy Martin, that most people will know, very successful road racer, truck mechanic, TV person personality now he was basically invited to come and ride a, a quite a special bike it's a rotary bike it's not it's a wankel engine but colloquially it's known as a rotary engine dorito shape not a traditional sort of piston engine you know there's very few of them like norton kind of had the most success with it a lot of big manufacturers have had a go with it suzuki lesser known manufacturers like dkw they're in their kind of hundreds or thousands of bikes not the millions like the rest of the piston engine so it's kind of quite a rare combination to have both Guy Martin and Rotary Engine Bike together at Cadwell Park. Cadwell Park is kind of a, a rarity in the sense that you can actually take off and get airborne in a section of it. It's really narrow, really tight and twisty, lots of elevation change, quite a technical track. The combination of all those three things together, yeah, I just happen to be in the right place at the right time. The people that build the bike, it's uh, called a Crichton CR700. I used to work for the sister part of the company. That's how I know of Brian Crichton. I interviewed Brian on the channel as well. And yeah, so all those combination things, I just picked up the phone and said, I've heard this is happening. I want to come and film it. Is that all right? Got a green light. This all happened last year. Was anyone else filming? Guy? I mean, Guy Martin wasn't doing it for production or anything. No, he was just invited to come along, ride the bike. There was a production company, I believe, requested to do some filming. Film didn't go ahead. You did the follow-up video with 
Crichton, the company? Brian Crichton. So again, for any people that don't know, Brian is the driving force behind taking the Norton rotary race bikes to their success through the sort of late 80s, early 90s. Isle of Man wins. And it's quite an interesting story. I do recommend you go and check it out because I would give my left arm for 10% of what that bloke's got between his ears. You've sort of described the rotary engine a little bit. Is it easy to describe it a bit more? And why do you think it wasn't embraced across the motor industry? Really good question. I don't know because I'm See that, Clive? Really, good, not... really good question. <laughs> he hasn't got a fucking answer for it, so it can't be that good, can it? That's my last yeah. question about why, how did COVID affect uh, the sales of MCN? Another classic. That was really funny. Noel did actually ask Michael Guy from MCN. I obviously edited. Did I edit it out? I think I did. Why did COVID affect the sales of MCN? It's a fucking newspaper. All the shops were shut and nobody could leave home to buy it. I thought they posted <laughs> them all out. <laughs> <laughs> I think they've just got a lot of drawbacks. They create a lot of excess heat. The way that they seal, the apex seals and the side seals, it's just really tricky. The materials used in it are quite expensive, quite specialist. Like I think in the UK, there's only a handful of people that can create the coating that go on the... You kind of get a side plate, which is the end. You then get the housing, which is where, you know, the Dorito, as people imagine it, that bit spins. Um, if it's a single, then you just get another side plate. And it's the coating that are on both side plates and the surface of the housing that are really tricky to manufacture and manufacture well. I would say it was more the, a combination of the poor rotor sealing, low thermal efficiency due to the shape of the combustion chamber and low mean effective pressures at uh, light engine loads required an extremely rich air-fuel mixture just to keep a rotary engine turning over at a low engine speed. But I'm just guessing. <laughs> <laughs> no pistons it's just this this dorito thing spins and creates yep. combustion chambers in sort of three areas as it goes around people describe it as a three cycle engine because you can get induction compression power or power they compression them... exhaust like all happening at the same time i think they put them in mazda rx7s didn't they yeah probably one yeah. of the fastest cars i've been in was a mate's yeah. rx7 round a landau track in south wales um yeah. and turbocharged them bloody hell lethal but he rebuilt it like three times yeah. he only owned it for three years i think so. <laughs> the only reason i didn't get one was because they do about 12 miles to the gallon where do you see the youtube thing going do you actually make any money out of it or are you just just doing it because you enjoy doing it and you get to do fun things if i was going to be a rich man then I wouldn't do YouTube. Diminishing returns and probably I've missed the boat by, you know, five to eight years to, to really, I say be successful. I'm somewhat successful. I guess I make a little bit of money, but it's not. For, for example, I had help with a video recently where I paid an editor 450 quid to do this huge project and help me out and do all these things. And uh, the current views on it means that I've got 22 pence back in no. revenue. But then some videos, I'll, I, I won't get an editor involved. It'll just be my own time. It's made like... 500 quid 600 quid a thousand pound whatever a few thousand yeah it's great but then when you look at all the equipment and time and all that that i've invested like it's i've not made any money probably getting somewhere close to breaking even but then by that point i'm trying to invest more in equipment and so on to kind of continue being better but i think if i was going to do it again spend like a year learning how to do it well and then starting whereas really i'm only starting to learn how to do it well and i'm still not good enough to do it justice but i spent three years doing it and like you said 49 videos and buggering about kind of uh, learning learning as i go did you see we've just done our first i say we have just done our first youtube video i did see yeah it's it very well produced but i expect mm. that's very much down to your son's involvement i believe wasn't it rather than than your own exactly yeah no i i just stood in front of the camera which is my natural place and uh he did the rest pretty much i think you did really well actually. how did you find talking to a camera part of my job has for many years has been standing up in front of people talking so i really enjoy doing it 
natural show-off, so I didn't have any issues with it at all. What was tricky, though, is with the podcast, you can just edit shit out, right? So just, we just carry it, as you've noticed. <laughs> we just, just talk nonsense, and when it doesn't fail, you just kind of start again. But with, with video, you end up doing quite a few takes, don't you, before you get one that you're happy with. I guess that's more of a problem for in the edit, but um, I found that just quite an interesting process, really, as to how different it is to what to what we do. No, I've not not done a podcast, but yeah, I can imagine mm. because you can with the podcast, it's just audio. So when you've got the waveform in front of you, haven't you? You can go, all right, there's a gap, we can cut that out, or do this, or, or whatever, or no, that section didn't work. We can just go gap to gap, and it's mm. fine. Whereas video, you don't have that. If you cock it up, you can still see that you cocked it up. It turns out the the apple falls absolutely miles away from the tree, doesn't it? <laughs> <laughs> Where do you see yourself going with the with the channel then? What else are you going to be doing? Still trying to continue doing what I enjoy because I've done stuff before, like the review videos, getting a new bike and so on and testing it. And whilst it does do some good views and people have said they like my reviews, not that I completely agree, but I just don't enjoy doing it. I, don't, I enjoy riding the new bike, but then I don't enjoy the editing process. It just kills my motivation i don't want to sit in the front of the computer just waffling on about oh this new bike's got this engine and those brakes and it does this and it feels because all new bikes now are pretty much fucking excellent i kind of want to just focus on what i like doing and, and one of the big things that i've been wanting to do for probably a decade or more is go on a, a really big adventure kind of what's coming up for me hopefully in the next sort of four or five weeks I've been to leave on a, a trip to south africa as the sort of first leg and then when we get there decide right do we want to go left or right effectively over to south america or up to the east side of Africa and over to Asia. Are you um, doing this by yourself? This is why I was saying that Lauren is brilliant. Managed to convince her that riding bikes over big distances is a good idea. It'd be good fun to travel that way. She's keen. Did her didn't have a motorbike license before I met her. Only passed the test in April of this year, and then like a week and a half later, we had a holiday booked, but we hadn't booked ferry crossing or anything yet. I'm like, great, ferry's booked now. We're going on the bikes. After passing a test, her first uh, tour of about fifteen hundred miles, two thousand miles pretty much straight away. I'm very interested to know what kind of bike she was on. So a Honda CG125. We were both on the same bike. Had a bike each, but yeah, same same bike. She's not going away on that. What's she taking away? Yeah, no, that's what we're going away on. You're going on 125s? Fantastic. But yeah, we've got big bikes at the moment. She's got a CBR600 and I've got a, a Yamaha Phase 1000. Oh, you're doing the big trip on the CGs? Yeah, 100%. Great, great. Like a lot of people have been sort of yeah, not announce this officially. I like, hopefully have a video coming out this weekend. But yeah, that's where I'm kind of initially announcing it. And then this will be a, a secondary kind of thing where people might hear about it. But I've been having conversations with people about it for a while. And yeah, people inevitably say like, you're going on one two fives. What are you doing? That's crazy. Why are you doing that? You know, it has been thought about. It's not just a completely daft idea. And, and part of it, I see it is that people have done bigger trips on smaller CC bikes. So we're basically taking the easy way out. We could, if we wanted real pain and suffering, we'd do it on a 50cc that was made in the 40s or something you know like realistically this is easy how old are these bikes mine's 2005 hers is 2007 what have you done to them anything i've been going through lately just doing a load of maintenance really struggling to find a rear rack for her bikes i've got the we want the same rear rack so what sort of luggage are you attaching to it so we're going to go for like a, a real cheap and cheerful kind of dewalt or something you know screw fix box on the back on the on the rear rack so we've got a lockable hard luggage soft panniers we've got had a couple of sponsors come on board to help out so yeah lomo have given us some soft panniers and some kind of crash bar bags but then that presents another problem i've got to create some 
crash bars to fit the crash bar bags onto. Still need to figure out a plan for a tank bag of some description and was thinking about potentially making like a little miniature, you know, shopping basket luggage rack to go on top of the head, like snacks and drinks or or whatever. Wouldn't carry a lot of weight, but just so it's handy and and easy to get to when you're riding. And what's the range on a Honda CG? Depends how well it's running. Mine's Mm. (laughs) not running quite so well at the minute. It's a bit bit lean, so I need to sort that out. Easily get 80 to 100 to the gallon, even loaded up and, you know, flat stick everywhere. 12 litre tank, it's a couple hundred miles quite quite comfortably. Just kind of depends on the terrain and that sort of thing, really. Have they stopped making it? Not in Pakistan. You can still get them brand new in Pakistan. I think they're about a grand, 1500 quid. You can get them brand new in Pakistan, but they're kind of based on the sort of 80s CG. You might still be able to get them in Brazil because these, the current one I've got manufactured in Brazil. But yeah, in the UK, you know, they stopped in 2008 was the last year. Yeah, 1976 to 08 was a pretty good run, isn't it? But I presume they're pretty hard to buy in the UK, are they? Or they'll have quite a good price attached to them. Plenty of second-hand ones knocking around for about a grand. Really? Yeah, yeah. my girlfriend's that we bought in March of this year, I think, February maybe. Paid 925 quid, 18,000 miles on the clock, I think. Pretty well looked after. I paid £450 for mine. You're um, kidding me. Yeah, it was uh, it was up for 500 quid as well, and I offered her 450 She said yes, <laughs> and I felt a little bit guilty because it was, oh. her, uh, it was her husband's, and he passed away sort of two years before. What? Just sat in the garage, yeah. <laughs> Horrendous. I literally did nothing to it. I dragged it out, took about half an hour on a driveway trying to put some fresh fuel in, get it running, slowly coaxed it into life, rode it home, took it to an MOT like two days later, passed without even a single advisory. All I did was clean it. I get the impression, Tom, that you kind of started off as a, a road rider and have kind of getting into off-road stuff more and more these days. Yeah, definitely. I think it's because biking was my transport at first, so road bikes took priority because it was how to how to get around more than anything. I think, was it my third or fourth purchase was a CRM250, a year and a half into riding maybe, maybe two years into riding, but was never very good. Just kind of did a couple of green lanes, a couple of enduro practice events, never a, a race or anything like that. And then, yeah, just slowly over the years have kind of got Better jobs, more money available, bought better bikes, rode them a bit more, done some more events and that kind of thing, but never got serious or anything into it. You did the uh, the Dawn to Dusk, didn't you, and made a little film of it. That was quite entertaining. You, Your mate was so much better than you. You were rubbish. You were just sleeping. Absolutely. <laughs> I take, So that's Andy, my uh, yeah, my best mate that got me into bikes as, as heavily as I am. And yeah, with, well, without him, that event would have been so different if he hadn't been my teammate. Because we, we made the agreement, I think you see it in the film, that he'd do three hours, I'd have a rest then I'd do three hours. But by the time he'd finished his three hours, his last lap, he was going out to the day lap. So the day lap is longer than a night lap. It's about 15 miles or was um, in the year that we did it last year. Whereas the night lap is about seven um, seven miles, something like that, I think it was. And yeah, so he came back having just done two or three night laps and then went out and did a, a day lap, got back in pretty knackered, which was fair enough. I went out, did one day lap after having sort of like a two hour sleep. It was absolutely bollocks <laughs> just went andy can you go out again he went yeah no worries all right i'll go <laughs> we did a little sum up afterwards we were chatting about it recently and filmed it and he's like oh it's one of the best days i've ever had imagine just having a big playground a motorbike and you can go for as long as you want like it's brilliant what was the first sort of off-road stuff that you did and andy was my first experience of off-road riding again he'd done a lot of a lot of stuff as a kid he had a trials bike and did a couple of bits messing about in his garden that kind of thing but he had suzuki ts185 which is the first bike he ever bought he still got it i think and um, when he's sort of like 14 with paper round money but then he'd also bought a similar time no that's what convinced me to get the crm that's it um he had a kmx 200 so 1989 little two 
stroke and uh, because he had both at the same time i kind of gone to visit him and yeah he lives in rugby so in the midlands again did live there he's now in wales as well with me but yeah he's like come on there's loads of byways you ride the ts i'll ride the kmx we'll go out that's my first first crash off road and it was one of those ones that you know you're crashing for about a minute before you actually fall off because it was just completely out of control sat down on the bike going too fast the front wheel flew in one way and the other in all the slop and no control just hanging on for grim death was it one of those moments where you just thought this is great. I've got to do this forever now. I still get it now sometimes when I go out, especially when I've been out on the CG and I take the CG on lanes occasionally and I'm out and I'm just in the middle of nowhere and you can't see anyone. You haven't seen anyone for hours and you just think, how is this still legal? You feel like you've got a cheat code to life that just, yeah, it just invigorates you so much. You think this is brilliant. Why doesn't everybody do this? You seem to do quite a bit of track daying. And I was quite intrigued when you I watched one of your CB500 videos and you went out with a group and you, you talked about doing sighting laps. And that got me thinking about if, if one were to do a track day, is there like a beginner's process to get into track daying? Like a lot of things, it's really easy to overthink and think it's harder than it is as a, as a, a novice to it. And they do specific novice days sometimes where everyone's a novice. But typically what happens if you just book at any random track day with whichever track day provider you decide to go with you'll have the day split up into different sessions and there'll be a group per session so everyone gets session one but there's novice intermediate advanced groups and typically you know there might be 40 bikes in that group but the novice people when you turn up on the day you get a kind of briefing either before by email it used to all be done in sort of pit lane or in a room but now you kind of get an online briefing before and then you get an additional briefing on the day and quite often the novices will get pulled to one side the intermediate or advanced group will go out first because they've done it before hopefully and they'll go out and do their thing and then the novices get another briefing to say look this is what the flags are this is what you should do think about this if you want to come and talk to us we're here we can give you advice and there's there's quite often like no limits i think they offer free instruction so if you just wander up to the garage with the four or five blokes in there in the morning and just say i want some instruction don't know what i'm doing they'll go out with you for a session or two to kind of take you around, show you what you should be doing, where you should be in terms of lines, breaking, all that kind of stuff. But like I say, it's it's really easy to overthink. You don't need to go into it thinking, I'm going to win, I'm going to get a trophy. Like nobody gives a toss how fast you're on a track day. There'll be someone faster, there'll be someone slower. That's just it. And if there isn't, you got unlucky. Treat it like you would a road ride in the always keep a little bit in reserve. You know, you can have a bit of fun and you can have a lot more fun on track because there's a lot less obstacles to hit. You know, it's, it's generally wider, safer, better sighted until you kind of learn things rain it in a little bit no one remembers who's fastest at the end of the day would you recommend people get some kind of training like you know ron haslam type school or something like that first or just go and have a go i've never done any of that i've heard good things about it you wouldn't like it no it's really fast if you fall off it wouldn't half hurt be really good at it i know you'd be good at it but i just don't think you'd enjoy it very much because you'd be scared i think i'd be quite good at it and i think i'd really enjoy it i'm constantly trying to perfect cornering i think i would really love that aspect i think it. it's really beneficial in the sense that you can get especially if you take your bike that you ride on the road and i've seen all sorts you know i've seen big sort of touring bikes like k1200s i've seen bmw gs's turn up multistradas all that so it doesn't really matter what you ride i could take my nc750s don't say that nobody talked to you they'd look at you and think is it why isn't he at the train station with his loco shed book taking numbers why is he here <laughs> <laughs> but yeah i think it's a really good way to explore kind of what you know what your bike can do because on the road if you're even getting close to the limits of the bike, you're riding like a knob. Ride on the track and you'll find how much faster you can open the throttle, lean it over, hammer the brakes, all of that stuff. And it'll kind of give you a bit of a bit of a confidence boost in that sense, unless you how send it into the scenery like I did. But <laughs> Well, that's my next question in a way. But how often are you riding near other people? 
it varies. What you have to do on track is just be really aware of what's in front of you. Don't worry about what's behind you. That's the person behind's problem in the same way that they should be worrying about what's ahead. And, and I can see you pulling your face up because I used to do exactly the same quite often. You'll see the people in the novice group, they're riding along, they're doing a shoulder check, they're doing a lifesaver before every corner. And I, and I did exactly the same, but it's completely wrong because then all you're doing is you're drawing attention away from the danger, the corner. That's the next thing you've got to focus on. And if you just glance behind you and you're doing 100 mile an hour, You've moved way closer to the corner, so now you've given yourself a real risk of crashing, whereas before, you might look behind and there's no one there. So there was no risk of anyone crashing into you before, so why are you looking behind? It's not important. Tom, is this good advice or just shit that you've just made up? Both. (laughs) Can it not be both? (laughs) But it's not full of Clive's running into the back of you and Greg's stopping in front of you. If you read the Facebook groups, yes, but generally, I've never been crashed into on a track day. Maybe I've seen it, but I don't remember it. You know, seeing people get taken out and whatever. It does happen. Of course it does. But that's no different to you riding on the road and someone could pull out in front of you or knock you off or whatever it might be. But generally, if you do have a crash, bloody brilliant. They've already got ambulances there. You haven't got to go very far for someone to run out to you, give you help and get you to a medical center, whatever. So that, you know, the risk is still there. It is present. People do break limbs, backs. They die on track days. It happens. But then that happens anywhere you go. But as long as you go in there accepting the risk, wear the best gear you can afford, give yourself the best chance of, you know, if anything bad does happen, that you're going to walk away from it. You know, kind of putting a bit of a doom and gloom spin on it. But honestly, some of the best days I've ever had is spanking around a track with my mates, with the sun shining, and yeah, coming home to tell the tale. Quite often you don't get a better day. You, you buzz him for, you know, a day or two afterwards at least. So have you overshot corners a few times? My very first track day I crashed on, on a rented bike, and it was only the second session in out of, what, you get seven sessions, and I'm like 10 minutes in. So, yeah, my half an hour track time cost me about 700 quid for the Mm. first go. Because by the time I had the rented bike cost, the track day cost, the damage for the rented bike, (laughs) and all the rest of it, and getting up there, because it was Anglesey, North Wales, and I lived in Somerset at the time. What's the plan when you go on your big trip then in five or six weeks' time? Are you going to post regularly or just save everything up and make a massive big film at the end of it? So there's going to be no set schedule because... I don't know what it's going to be like, truth be told, and I don't know how that life on the road is going to be. The longest trip I've done is sort of two weeks. The plan is to, yeah, sort of post as and when we get time. You know, we'll try and take time to stop in a hotel, have Wi-Fi, et cetera, edit a video, upload it, and so on. Because I think, the, for me anyway, the longer I leave it, the less the kind of the feel of it in the moment, the less the less you have of that. I think sometimes that's important, you know, how did it make you feel at the time and what were the sort of emotions and thoughts and, and so on. So trying to keep that fresh and putting that into the videos where possible is yeah, definitely useful. But you've chosen probably the most difficult continent to travel through, not from a riding perspective, not from a technical riding perspective, but just from a Africa can be hard work. People have asked, you know, what route are you taking? I'm like, well, this is the planned route, but we'll see when we get there because some things seem to, again, I've not done it so i don't know but everything that i've read and seen and heard is that things can change sort of by the day you know one border will be open and then it'll be closed or someone's decided to have a civil war again or, or whatever it might be Are you going down the eastern side or the really simple western side western side is no. the only option as, as i know for the moment i thought yeah, western side was the tricky side Sudan is really tricky to get through at the moment if you go the east side. And I think there's issues. I haven't done a huge amount of research on this lately about it. But I think if you like, if you've been into Egypt, you can't go into like Algeria. So you can't come across if you start in the east and so on. And a lot of challenges. I don't think it's going to be particularly easy either way. But at the moment, certainly for the last six months or so, anyone that seems to have been traveling has been been going via the west. Certainly if they're, you know, on a UK passport, the western route seems to be the favoured one. So how long are you going for? What, what have you given yourselves? Yep, we have given ourselves some time. <laughs> uh, it, it's it's completely open ended. We, we we don't know. really. 
it could become years or you just got six months absolutely i've yeah my job is youtube i don't have a job lauren's quitting her job so it's very much and, and this is the freedom that i wanted with this kind of travel is that i want it to be if we're done in three months and we think it's a terrible idea come home and you know at least we tried but if we get to the end of it and we think oh this is brilliant should we do another year we go yeah let's let's carry on until the money runs out is the phrase that i keep using when people ask is how long you're going for well when the money's run out we'll have to come home are you riding down through france or are you taking a ferry for the first yeah time? so neither lauren and i or i like a like a ferry too much so yeah spending 24 hours on one doesn't really appeal if we can avoid it so uh yeah gonna ride and particularly as well her sister lives in luton so we're gonna stay with her sister for a couple of weeks i think beforehand yeah, I think it says her sister lives in like leon or provence <laughs> <laughs> nothing, nothing exciting going via luton it's technically just outside Luton, but no one knows the village. But yeah, okay. Luton, Calais, through Spade, maybe into Portugal, yeah. who knows, Morocco, and then all the way down the West Coast to, yeah, like I said, Cape Town. But then it'll be, like I said, we'll decide at that point, do we want to go up the east? Can we go as far as Kenya? And I believe there used to be a, a boat or you could fly out of Mombasa in Kenya and go over to India. And then, you know, we could go and do Asia and ideally down as far as Australia, New Zealand, that kind of lot. But if not, then, you know, we'll try and fly over to South America, go to Argentina and yeah, ride south to north. All sounds easy on paper, doesn't it? I haven't done anything yet. Just talked about it. <laughs> yeah, save your amazement for when it's actually happened. Carnets, visas, all that kind of stuff. All those things that I'm thinking about at the minute. But um, yeah, Uh-oh. it'll get my done when it needs to get done. My girlfriend's going to be asking if she can borrow your camper van while you're away. You can buy it. I'm selling it. <laughs> More than welcome. I'll do you a good price. Okay. You've got nothing really here then. You've no house. Oh, nothing. I'm trying to get rid of all my worldly possessions. Everything that, yeah, I can't sell, give away or whatever will just be chucked in the bin, I guess, and don't want any commitments. No job to come back to. No worries about, oh, we need to be back because, you know, the Mm. van MOT is expiring and none of that nonsense. I just want to be gone. Tom, do you have a pension? I do. It's not got much money in it. This is his pension. He's going to be trading on this for the rest Ah, of his life. Ah, you'll be all right. Don't worry about it. We've never spoken to someone who's at the beginning of this. We always speak to people at the end of this. So it's really interesting to hear someone just setting off, really. We can play some of this back when he gets back in a few weeks' time and go, you said this, and it's gone to shit, hasn't it? Can I ask you the classic, what would old Tom say to young Tom about setting up? Yeah, I might have to to remember that when I'm uh, riding along, (laughs) hating my life, thinking I'm bloody soaked. This is miserable. I hate this. (laughs) There will be those moments, won't there, of course? I haven't romanticised it, you know, I've, I've kind of read enough travel books and entries and videos and mm. podcasts here. There's not always good days, it's not always sunshine and roses, mm. but ultimately that that will to travel and the want to yeah. have adventure far outweighs yeah. knowing that we've had it, because there's bad days at home. When you're at home, there's yeah. good days and bad days. Oh yeah, and then the bad stuff is the stuff you, you remember as well. And I would say about the short trips I've been on, that forward, when I've been away with my girlfriend, what struck me is that she very quickly i thought she'd hate i thought after day five she'd say let's have a rest day but you know she very much got caught up in that forward momentum you know what's around the next corner what's in the next place you know you yes. want to keep going don't you to see what's next i think that i think so that's that'll... always what i've disliked about the, the shorter journeys that i've been on is at some point you've mm. got to start heading home yeah turning and around the... i'll always find that demoralizing is that like mm. every mile you do you're getting closer to home now and you say mm. oh the holiday's nearly over yeah and that's the that's yeah. the element that excites me about traveling yeah. is that you know for probably six months or so we'll only yeah. be getting further away you're gonna have the sun in your face every day well let's yeah. hope so so a massive thanks to tom for doing that very much appreciated and don't forget to go and have a look at tom's channel and keep up to date with his travels through africa if he makes it on his youtube channel on i like motorbikes all right that's it for now see you next week Thank you.
Thanks for listening. We really appreciate your support. Don't forget you can follow us on Facebook and Instagram. And if you really appreciate what we do, you could consider supporting us on Patreon or buy us a coffee. Links are available on our website, which is tampodcast.com, tampodcast.com, where we also have a limited selection of branded stuff. But either way, please keep listening and spreading the word. See you next time.